This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Invited to join Lifeway Women Insiders, an online community of women like you who want to grow in their relationship with God and connect with each other in meaningful ways. When you sign up, you'll get first looks at upcoming Lifeway Women Bible studies and events, the opportunity to contribute your voice to future Lifeway Women content through polls and surveys, and exclusive insiders only discounts. Meet your soon to be friends at lifewaywomeninsiders.com. And welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heineman, and I am here with my co-host Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. Hey, we've got a fun coworker with us today, don't we? I know it's so exciting. So we are here with Tina Bosch. Tina, tell us about yourself, your family, and then what you do at Lifeway. Thanks so much. It's good to be here with you guys today. Um, I am the manager of the women's Bible study team at Lifeway. And our family actually just moved to Nashville this past summer. And you guys, this will be our first summer in four years not having a move, not having to wonder where our kids are going to be going to school. I've got three kids, um, Lois, Micah, and Naomi. Lois is 16, Micah is 11, and Naomi just turned eight. And then I've got my husband's name is Brett, and he and I have been all over the world together. That's so fun. One of the things, Tina, like people may not know this, but you started at Lifeway right when COVID was just kind of, I don't know, it was just happening. and Right when we yes. shut down or just after we shut down in person. I don't remember exactly. But yeah, sometime right around there. Yeah. Talk about that and trying to move your family in the midst of all that. <laughs> we were living in Louisiana at that time and it's true kelly it was such a challenge to start a new job with new colleagues when i was only meeting them over zoom um and we actually as we were starting to think about relocating our family permanently to the nashville area you know it was when everything was shut down there was quarantine so we couldn't even like come look at houses we sort of came up to nashville and drove through neighborhoods and so we ultimately made an offer on a house without ever having even walked through it without even having seen it (laughs) in person our first home ever because uh since since we had lived overseas we had only ever lived in rented apartments so we, we bought our, our first house ever, sight unseen. Wow. That's so crazy. Yeah. You know what? Maybe all of your experience overseas really did 
prepare you for <laughs> what you had to encounter in Nashville, you know, it's one of those things. So yeah. Flexibility is certainly a virtue when you're traveling. There's no question about that. Living out of suitcases helps you winnow down quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we know as we've gotten to just to learn more about you and work with you and just your heart for the global church, not just the local church here in the United States, but the church big c church and you served overseas you and your family as missionaries for several years so let's talk about that decision and how god just kind of moved your family in that way yeah you know it's interesting kelly because when i was in college i studied philosophy and studio art and that does not exactly (laughs) create a clear like trajectory for employment And so when I was right out of college, I um, was really not sure what I was going to do with my life. And I had these interests in art and literature and philosophy, and I had no idea at all what that meant um, for like, you know, forging a way forward really beyond possibly graduate school. And so my mom had been really active in mission and and had a friend who was working with a Baptist publishing house in Beirut, Lebanon. And I, and she was like, hey, why don't you go work um, with our friends? So roundabout way, I applied to go as a journeyman with the International Mission Board and did not end up in Beirut. I ended up in Sofia, Bulgaria, actually. Um, But while I was at training, I met Brett, um, who was headed to Nairobi, Kenya. And we started dating and after we got back from our two years of service, but our paths sort of converged over our shared interest in cross-cultural mission and service and a willingness to go to the places where there wasn't a lot of Christian witness, you know, places in the world that were underserved. It was never the case for me that I, I have served along some colleagues who knew even when they were very young, that God was calling them to cross-cultural mission. I wasn't one of those people. I never had a particular call to a people group. Um, I never um, had a moment when I was sure that the Lord was calling me overseas, but I knew that I was willing to be obedient to whatever He wanted of me. And I was also willing to let Him use the gifts that He had given me, the experience, the interest in his service, wherever that was most needed. And the reality is the more that I started to sort of be a part, for me, it was lots of baby steps, I guess. So, you know, two years of journeyman, that was a baby step towards um, serving internationally. When I came back, um, Brett was actually recruited by the International Mission Board to work in their in their information technology department. And so I actually got a job working in the communications department as a graphic designer. Um, I had done a journalism internship with a guy named Bill Bangham, who was the editor of the Commission magazine at that time. And he encouraged me to apply for a graphic design position at the IMB. And I thought, Bill, I've, I've been a fine artist. I've never done graphic design. He was like, well, bring your portfolio, make sure you know the software, and let's just see what happens. And a door opened there. But you know, the more I was working at the IMB at a time when the Commission magazine was still being published, 
And the stories of what God was doing in the world were so incredible. Um, it just um, was inspiring to be in the office when we were looking at the photographs that were coming in from all the places around the world where where there were you know movements of God happening where where you know missionaries were being faithful to their calling and they were seeing fruit from sometimes years sometimes decades of faithful work. Um, so just having an insider's perspective there was so powerful. And there was a moment when I had been working on a project on church planning movements and a guy named Don um, came through the office and he was looking to put together a communications team in Cyprus. And they were looking for a graphic designer and a web developer. And it just was one of those moments where at that point, Brett and I had gotten married and I was a graphic designer and he was a web developer. And so it was wow. like the Lord was creating this avenue for both of us to use our gifts and our experience in the context of serving in a part of the world where there was very little access to the gospel. And so we went, you know, just it was as if the Lord just be kept opening these doors in a very gradual way, and we were willing to say yes to walk through them. I love that, and I think that that's one thing that we've talked about, Tina, just recently, actually, at Lifeway Women Live, is the concept of calling mm -hmm. and how a lot of people may say that they don't feel, quote unquote, called to be a missionary um, and then I talked about one of my other coworkers, one of our other coworkers, E Bone Steel. She also talks about how, you know, calling is not necessarily something. I mean, we tried, we often think of it as a calling to a specific job or a specific task, but really we're all called to yeah. be missionaries in the definition of the word. Like we're all called to go forth and become more Christ like and disciple others to do the same. And so um, I love how you talked about that as like not necessarily that God gave you a specific calling to a specific country. And I do believe that sometimes that happens. Sure. He places those desires in our hearts. But you just were being obedient and doing the thing and using the gifts and the talents that God has given you. And I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because as you were serving as, as a missionary, as someone who is um, sent out as a missionary, you and your husband both worked in communications. So... A lot of times we get the impression that even like, even though even we, we talk about calling and how it's not necessarily um, to a specific task or it's just, you know, making disciples, but sometimes we get the impression that in order to be a missionary, quote unquote, we have to go overseas and we have to go to a rural area and maybe we have to plant a church, and that's what being a missionary looks like. Um, so what did everyday missionary life look like for you and your family? Yeah. So most of our career, um, we lived in a megacity, uh, 16 million people. I mean, if you want to think about, it was a city that felt very much like the Manhattan of the Middle East or the Manhattan of Central Asia very 
very densely populated, lots of energy, lots of momentum, all of the things you associate with big city life, you know, very little green space, lots of cars, lots of um, taxis, minibuses, boats going back and forth across the channel, you know, lots of just all the energy and the stress of living in a city, all the gridlock traffic, like that was very much a part of our reality. We were also in a, in a Muslim, a majority Muslim context. So, you know, call to prayer five times a day. Um, that was absolutely a part of the cultural context in which we lived. Um, and I think, you know, I completely agree with you. The way that you talked about um, the reality Elizabeth, that we are all on mission, regardless of our job assignment, is absolutely the case. And so there really should not, I think, be a distinction between, you know, church planting and support roles on the mission field. The reality is it takes all of us to see the gospel planted in new cultures and new places and also thrive and grow where it's already been planted, right? So mm -hmm. we actually um, are all, if we're being faithful to the call to be disciples, we are all a part of making disciples, whether that's making disciples of our own children in our homes or, you know, just sharing with our neighbors what we've read in scripture that day or, um, or you know, teaching in a local church context, whether that's in Georgia or in Moldova, you know, the reality is we should all be about making disciples. And so, you know, part of our days was like just caring for our family, making sure that we were reading scripture together and, and being faithful in our walk. But it was also showing up at the office and doing the things that we needed to do um, to get to move projects forward. A lot of my husband's work was always, um, in scripture distribution and evangelistic websites and trying to make scripture and discipleship resources available in Central Asian languages. So he was really engaged in that. A lot of my passion in the past has been mobilization. So telling the stories of what God is doing overseas has always been an important aspect of my work. So I, and I love, you know, just maintaining the relationships it takes and honestly lifting up the arms of other co-workers that are serving overseas in really, really hard places, you know, praying for them, just being a listening ear for them. Um, all of that was, I feel like an aspect of my calling. I want to be an encourager, you know, to people who are, really in tough places. Um, the church does not break into new environments without a lot of casualties. Mm -hmm. It's just hard. Um, when we first moved to Cyprus, there was an attack on the Jibla Baptist Hospital in Yemen, and three of our personnel mm -hmm. were executed there um, by a man whose wife had been treated in the hospital. I mean, that was one of the first stories that our, the my supervisor went to cover while we were overseas. Um, and so there are these incredible costs to obedience to the call. And it takes all of us serving over there. So I know a lot of my days looked like a day of someone who does graphic design and creative direction and project management and writing and editing. I was spending a lot of my time doing those things in the service 
of the greater mission and to keep the church in America informed about what was going on over, overseas. Yeah, I, I was thinking about what you said, even about the hospital. And when we talk about women who are courageous and who do incredible things, Dr. Martha Myers was an amazing yes. woman. And that story, um, you know, even though her life was was shortened um, from what we would have hoped, um, her story has lived on and the things that she has done and the ministry. I, I was even listening to a church planter in Salt Lake City, which is kind of a difficult city to plant churches these days. And he was talking this week about sometimes our our presence of it's not so much of what people hear, but what they overhear. Mm-hmm. And how when you do are when you are living on mission and you are living your life, that people tend to overhear when you're in the public places and you're talking about what the Lord's doing. I thought that was I don't know. That's just going to stick with me for a while, yeah. what he said. And I think that's even true in other cultures. They, they see, obviously, you know, you probably look different than the people that you were serving with. And so there's an interest there and they are probably curious and things like that. So I, I know. And even just what you talked about in a Muslim culture, there's some real shocks that happen in different cultures. So talk a little bit about how you adjust or if how hard that is even to adjust to the culture differences of a different country. And then let's talk about how different it is when you come back. <laughs> yeah, they're both both significant adjustments, adjusting when you go there and then, and then on return. You know, I think one of the biggest adjustments you make early on is, is language, learning language. So, mm-hmm. and it just takes an incredible amount of time. Um, and it's so frustrating. You know, you feel like a toddler all over again. You know, um, you're struggling to say just the simplest things. And you feel almost like you've had a, tra- a personality like transplant. <laughs> you don't even feel like yourself initially. But it's interesting because as you, the more time you put into to language learning and as you begin to um learn really how to communicate, what you begin to realize is it's not a one-for-one translation. There are actually some ways of saying things in another language that are, there is no equivalent in English. And so what you begin to realize is you actually miss some of the phrases um, that in, in our context, we were learning Turkish, you actually miss some of those phrases. When I come back to America, there are things that I like find myself like wanting to say that I cannot say here because they just, <laughs> they just don't make any sense. Um, can you think of one? Can Sorry? You think of, can you think of a phrase? Oh, sure. Yes, absolutely. So one of the things about, about Turkish is that there are all these really beautiful, simple blessings that people use every day as they're interacting with people. So for instance, if I'm in, um, if I see my, if I go visit my neighbor and she's making, you know, a a pastry, there's a kind of pastry in Turkey called burek that everybody, uh, everybody has variations on. So if I visit my neighbor, Nurse Hen, and she's making burek, I would say, Elenize Saluk which means health to your hands. Um, Mm -hmm. And you just, it's such a beautiful blessing, you know, for the, for the process, uh, for the, uh, a way of appreciating really the work that's being done and the care with which it's being done and, you know, that future good, you know, for, for her hands. And, and in, you know, in English, that would be so odd, Kelly, if I saw you like, you know, making biscuits and I'm like, Kelly, health to your hands. <laughs> I, I mean, you may understand say, it, like- but it would just be different. I'll, 
I yeah. probably say the phrase kolagelsin, I mean, hundreds of times a day in Turkey. And it just means may it come easy, you know, like mm-hmm. may whatever you're doing come easy to you, you know, kolagelsin. There are lots of those really lovely little phrases. Um, one time my sister had just had a baby and a, and a friend of mine had come over and we wanted to Skype with her just to talk to her. And, uh, my friend was like, wait a, wait a second before we call, tell me what is a blessing in English for a new baby. And I was like, honestly, we don't, we don't have, uh, I said, well, we say congratulations. Yeah. And she looked so disappointed and she said, no, no, no. I mean, as a Christian, what would you say? as a blessing for a new baby. And I was like, oh no. And I thought <laughs> about that and I was like, honestly, we just say congratulations. And Turks have a way of like signaling disappointment with you. They'll kind of click and raise their chin. And she was like, so she did that gesture. And then she said, you say congratulations for everything. Congratulations is not a blessing. Mm-hmm. And I said, what would you have said, you know, in Turkish for a blessing for a new baby? And and there the traditional blessing is which means may the baby grow up together with his mother and father. Mm-hmm. And it's such a lovely, concise blessing, you know, for the long life of the child, for the long life of the family, for the integrity of the family. And so I just realized, you know, there are some there are some lovely things embedded in cultures outside our own. And honestly, the, the experience of realizing that I did not have a language in English for blessing made me go back to scripture and start reading it differently and, and made me start asking in scripture, are there, you know, Christian blessings in Paul's letters? Is there an earlier practice of blessing in the Old Testament? You know, how, did did Jesus speak blessing? And uh, and it just made me start reading with a new lens. You know, I started noticing things I had not noticed before, things I had read right past. Um, and so, yeah, I think anytime we cross cultures, there are going to be things not that just that are challenging, but things that are illuminating, you know, things that open our eyes to things we just did not realize. Um, and there are so many of those things, guys, honestly, I would say for sure, hospitality is another, like I've just, Mm -hmm. there were some instances when I experienced hospitality in a way I never had in American culture that were really transformative for me. Yeah, I think that that is so true. And, and I love the culture of blessings. And I think I was just thinking like when you were talking about the health to your hands, like we do that, but we do it in prayer. Like I, when we pray before meals, a common phrase is like, and bless the hands that prepared this. And so I think that we do it in a different way, but I love how they like do it openly to the person. Like that's such a, a cool way. Like whether they realize it or not, because it is so ingrained in their culture, they're praying a blessing, you know, to these people out loud. And that's so beautiful. And I think we should adopt that. We should figure out some ways to to bless each other out loud um, as we go about our days. And that was really the basis of your book that you wrote too, right, Tina? It was, yeah. Uh, That book, Given, grew out of sort of a 10-year search to understand blessing in the scripture, in the Bible. 
and how that theme develops. And especially Elizabeth, as you were just saying, as a way of relating, not as like a cliche, for sure not as a possession to own, but rather as a way of interacting with other people and and especially with God. And that is ultimately grows out of the way that God relates to us first. Um, I mean, y'all, right in the first chapters of Genesis, and God blessed them and said to them, we find that God's first speech is speech of blessing to Adam and Eve, to his creation when he forms them. So that that was really powerful for me. I read right over that phrase. Yeah. And I think now we basically only, in, in America, we basically only bless each other when we sneeze, <laughs> which is <laughs> right. still kind of funny to me that we we keep that as a yeah, like a thing that happens a lot. And a lot of times we don't say the God portion and we're uh-huh. just like, bless you. Mm-hmm. But it, it is funny to me. I've thought about that before, how people say that no matter their religious background. And I'm just like, do you know what you're saying? You're you're blessing my health right now and you have no idea who you're asking to bless it or why. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's become almost like a habit um, for sure. And I do know that there are parts of even our country where that's a little less um standard yeah. but i feel like in the south in so the south says, yeah it's bless like you. bless you um and or everybody's bless heart <laughs> yeah bless your heart which is sometimes an insult yeah. but um yeah uh so you just kind of talked about this a little bit but what are some other things that encourage you about the global church specifically like things that mm-hmm. you saw and things that you still hear about um as someone who served overseas, like what are some things that are just really encouraging to you about the church everywhere in the world? Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, there are so many, you know, I think God's work truly is global, you know, and his, his spirit really is on the move. You know, when I was just in the years that I was a journeyman in Bulgaria, that that was not long after, honestly, the, I mean, y'all, I'm so, it was in the, you know, in the in the 90s not long after the berlin wall had fallen and countries like bulgaria were still just barely coming out of the communist era and our my pastor at that time teo angeloff was also um a leader in the european baptist federation and he had been a chemist who became a believer and was imprisoned for his faith under communism you know they had that was an era where they had to hide their bibles you know they had to worship largely in secret when there was incredible you know infiltration of of church communities by secret police an era of just such so much suffering and persecution and to see the joy and the commitment of these um, Bulgarian Baptist believers who had suffered under that era and had sustaining faith during that time, and then to be ministered to by them. I mean, that was so powerful for me. You know, when I was, one of the other things is just to see the way that the gospel does break down ethnic and um barriers, you know, and prejudices. For instance, in Bulgaria at that time, there was a lot of just in the general culture, um, I would say marginalization of gypsy communities. But there were a couple of Bulgarian church planners who started really being concerned about the gypsies and went into the village, were beat up by one of the guys there and ended up sharing the gospel with him 
His life, his name was Ivan, was radically transformed, and he became a leader among gypsies of the church there. And there was this incredible, um, really, I would say, movement of the Lord among gypsy populations, in part because of the faithfulness and obedience of these Bulgarian church planners to go work in that community. Um, we've seen our church in um, in uh, that that we've been a part of was led by a Muslim background believer who was our pastor for years, and we were able to worship um, with Armenians, with Kurds, with Persians, with Germans and Japanese. We had a really international. Um, a church experience where we got to hear people praying in their own languages, different languages every Sunday. You know, it's such a powerful reminder that every nation, tribe, and tongue will be before the throne. I mean, there was a period when our pastor and, and 11 other pastors were featured in an ISIS video as targets. Mm -hmm. And still, these pastors remain faithful. They kept showing up at one point. Our pastor was offered protection by the government, and he declined it because he did not want it to look like it was dangerous to be a Christian where we were. Um, and to me, that was such a powerful testimony to his, his sense that he was living out his calling in his culture in a way that displayed his confidence in the Lord as his protector. Um, it was that was so challenging to me. I mean, I have I. I had the opportunity to just walk with a Central Asian believer through a difficult period in her marriage. Both her and her husband's parents had been had been tortured by the secret police in the close country where they had come to faith. And it just, the, the level of perseverance and commitment and hunger and thirst for the Word of God is incredible, I think, sometimes um, when we're able to come alongside believers who are suffering for their faith and really, really need the sustaining presence of the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God. And it takes, y'all, it takes all three of those. It takes mm -hmm. the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and incarnational witness to see the church born and planted and thriving in places where it's hard. I mean, and I would, I just have been, I have been so humbled over and over and over again by the perseverance of the saints in places where it's really hard um, to be a faithful Christian and, and the costs are really high. I know I um, had an email, a couple of emails in the last week from somebody who's serving in a very difficult place and they were asking for people to pray because there were some national believers who were in prison and they had been put in isolation and there was a trial that's about to happen and just I think sometimes as you know, the Western church, sometimes we forget um, about the persecuted church. And just to be reminded that, you know, no matter where you serve, I mean, there's always opportunities to be persecuted, but the way that some people are persecuted, definitely different. And so I think um, we need to also just kind of think for a moment and help us, Tina, think through what are practical ways that women today can really engage in the global church and how can we have a better global mindset of what is happening in our world? Well, I think one thing, Kelly, that's overlooked all the time 
It's interesting because especially in the church, you know, communities that I've been a part of, there's this incredible emphasis on sending. Mm -hmm. We celebrate sending. We send people out. And there is not an equal emphasis on sustaining and welcoming and returning. Mm -hmm. And the truth is for long-term mission, we need all of that. Like if you're interested, if you for whatever reason, are not called to go overseas. We need people who are committed to to, to maintaining relationships with those who have gone, mm -hmm. um, who are communicating with them regularly, praying for them regularly, asking about their kids, you know, who are safe places for their kids when their kids come home and go to college, who are, you know, really, I would say, holding up their weary hands because, you know, I can tell you from, I mean, our family was almost two decades um, overseas and it is lonely. You guys, it's hard. Mm -hmm. um, you do not have the, the vast networks of Christian communities that we have here. The, you don't even realize how much I remember that one of the first state sides we came home um, and I realized that I was a young, my kids were young at that time, time. And I realized at, at the church that we were attending during stateside, I could drop my kids off at the childcare for Sunday school, for worship, for Sunday night, for Wednesday night, for um, Bible study on Tuesday. Y'all, women who serve overseas are with their kids all the time. They have no childcare. They're in house churches a lot of times where they're corralling their kids. They are spiritually so thirsty, and I would say they just need women to reach out to them, women who they know are, you know, part of their prayer community, who really understand what they're experiencing and who will listen to their stories, you know, who actually are asking them searching questions. Who are you hanging out with? You know, how did that conversation go? You know, I mean, very specific questions. And to do that over a long period of time, I mean, I can tell you that is so, so rare. Um, you know, people want a five-minute mission snapshot in a Sunday school class on a Sunday morning. But the people who are returning home, they want an opportunity, you know, to share at a deeper level, and they very rarely have an opportunity to do that. So I would say that's one practical thing. Another is probably to be aware of the internationals who are in their communities. Um, there are more internationals than we're aware of. I mean, it's to me, it's it is disconcerting when people want to go on a, on a mission trip, a short-term trip, but they do not want to reach out to internationals in their area. Um, so there, there are so many international students who are never invited into an American home, you know, who never sit down at a table with a Christian family. That's the kind of embodied witness we need, you know, opening our homes, providing safe places for internationals and for, you know, Christian workers who are serving overseas and just need to be encouraged. Y'all, we were at a church for six months and were never invited to have a meal with a family in that church. Yeah. I remember my son, when he was in college, he brought home um, a couple of guys that were um, from a different country. And I was surprised. One of them said, can I see your backyard? And I was like, sure, you can see our backyard. And and he went out there and he came back in and he was like, I said, was it what you thought? And he said, yes. He said, 
Um, I just needed to see an American backyard because I've watched the Cosby show. I mean, he'd watched a sitcom <laughs> yeah. and he had this perception of what a backyard looked like. And <laughs> so I just thought that was so funny because, but I, you know, he didn't have a backyard where he was from. They, yeah. That's something new. And I think yeah. I've heard that. I've heard a statistic before. I think it was um, Jen Schmidt who talked about oh, this yeah. in her Bible study, just opened the door. And she talked about how like, students who are studying over here from other countries rarely ever like they will go four years without ever being invited Mm -hmm. into a home here in the states and just how important that is and i want to say like if you are wherever you are in if you're in the united states you can reach out to your church a lot of churches support local missions and ministries that will help and they support missionaries overseas as well and so you can kind of like reach out to them to get your to get some contact information um, for missionaries so that you can support them as well as maybe get some um, information about local ministries that they support. Um, A lot of, I know in Nashville, we're sort of a pretty big international community. So we kind of have that advantage. um, Mm -hmm. Whereas that may not be the case everywhere, but for sure we have like clinics that are specifically for immigrants and internationals. And we have ESL, like English as a second language training at lots of places. And so just, I would encourage people just get on Mm -hmm. a search engine and and look for places. Like if you're passionate about teaching or about keeping kids or whatever, like uh, one of our former coworkers, they would just go and keep the kids um, while other people taught English. And so she was like, this is what we can do. We know how to keep kids. And so we have fun and we play with them um, while other people who are trained in English as a second language are helping their parents learn English. And so I think there's lots of ways that we can serve and definitely get involved. Um, I know for in our community, because we do have a lot of immigrants and international people coming over to Nashville um, we have like teams of people like in my church, teams of people will wel- be like a welcoming committee. And it's like you That's get to so show great. them an apartment and like this is how you go to a grocery store and just things yes. like that, that like you were talking about, if you don't speak the language, you are basically learning everything new. And so um, it's so helpful to have someone come alongside you who will be like, this is how we do a self-checkout. Cause I'm like, I can't imagine yes. trying to figure oh out how to even yes. go through a grocery store. And like, these are chips and they like, you know, cause mm-hmm. I know I've been to international markets before and just been like, I don't even know what, what <laughs> this <laughs> item is, you know, and cause it's not it's so in my true. language. And so, um, yeah, I would just encourage everybody to just look at some of those ways that you can get involved and like reach out to your, if you have a missions pastor, they probably know some people that are currently serving overseas and you could strike up a friendship with them um, just via email or, you know, now everybody's on Zoom and Skype. And so those are great. I also always encourage people to actually go to a, another culture, whether it's on a mission trip or even just vacation, because it sure. just kind of helps you to see how the world is different in other places and how, like you said, it's so beautiful a lot of times, but it's also hard and and I just think even just traveling abroad just kind of helps you to learn how other people function and you kind of get a little bit of a taste of what other people are experiencing when they maybe move to America or come over here to study or whatever it might be Um, and I think even sometimes when you go on a short-term mission trip sometimes we think well we're going to 
be with this people group. But a lot of times you are going to minister to the missionary oh, family. Sure. And yeah. I mean, I remember going on one trip and we, we did have like some, a lot of the missionary wives together and we just like, we sang together and there were just tears because they, they were, yeah. they all said, we don't get to worship as a group like this. Yes. Yeah. Except with maybe our family or in our home, in our house church. And yeah. I just, it, it just was overwhelming. Yeah. And I've gone on an overseas mission trip where one of the tasks was we're going to babysit one night, yeah. you know, and babysit right. for the missionary family that's there. And so I think, like you said, Tina, like they didn't have the opportunity to go on a date night because right. um, they're with their kids all the time. And so just things like that and being creative and how we... Um, Look for opportunities to do that. And I, we'll put in our show notes the International Mission Board and even the North American Mission Board. While that's local, they do also work on a lot of these sure. missions projects and that you can get involved in. And so we'll put those two. Those are great places to start for this. Yeah, um, that's so And just good. L- learning the stories. Because like you said, Tina, you that was part of your job was telling these stories. And I think that's a great mm-hmm. first step as well. Yeah, I mean, I've realized people either tend to romanticize the experience or they're terrified by it, you know, if they've never been. It's like they're either those two poles. And the reality is it's just a lot of life. There are significant differences, but discipleship takes place around the kitchen table. And it does here, too, for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It is now time for our last question. So we're going to ask you what we ask Everybody on the podcast, what is something that has marked you in your walk with Christ? Yeah. There have been so many things, but um, I will say probably the thing that has been most significant are the people that I've interacted with who have embodied what they taught. And for me, I come from a ministry family. My dad's a pastor. Um, and a scholar. My mom was a Sunday school teacher, led the women's ministry at our church, and was really active in the Baptist World Alliance, even very interested in global, global mission, wanted to be a Wycliffe Bible translator. So both my mom and dad were engaged in public ministry the entire time I was growing up in their home. And what was what marked me was the reality that what my parents were teaching publicly was also what they were living in our home. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can minimize how powerful that is as a witness. Um, above all, you know, being who we are publicly, privately, there being no distinction between our character when we're in front of people and when we're at home alone, I think that that is above all, I think what has marked me, the people I've known, my parents for sure. Um, another mentor, um, Mary Jo Plemons, who was a, really a mentor for me when I was a college student at Wake Forest who opened her home to me. Um, those, those people have marked me. And I think when I think of the church, I have such positive associations with it because I saw, you know, a vital ministry happening publicly that was a reflection of healthy ministry that was happening within the home that I grew up in. And so I would say that that above all else is what has marked me. That's beautiful. I think that you're exactly right. That's a very underrated quality 
in people's characters today. And so thank you for sharing that with us. Well, Tina, this has been so fun and it's gone by so quickly, um, but we do need to wrap it up. So thank you again. Thank you for your work that you do here at Lifeway. And, you know, sometimes our readers, you know, who do our Bible studies, they may not always look in the front cover and see the team that puts, you know, all the work into making things go from a you know, an idea to in a published piece. And so we're so grateful for the work that you lead here at Lifeway. And um, we hope that you'll be at Lifeway for a lot of years. Me too. You know, Kelly, there's one thing I do want to say, and that is that one of the reasons that I, that my husband and I both felt like we really needed to, to, to walk through the door that the Lord opened at Lifeway when we did is because I really do believe the quality of women's discipleship has an, a real tangible impact on the global expansion of the church. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think of the women who have served in such significant ways, women like Lottie Moon, women like Lilius Trotter, women like Rebecca Naylor in mm-hmm. South Asia, or Martha Myers in Yemen, you know, these women are being faithful to live out the calling that God has placed in their lives. And the materials we're creating for Bible study um, are an aspect of the spiritual formation of women, many of whom will be called to work in their local communities, but some will be called to work overseas. And so I think the health of the, the quality of women's discipleship affects the health of the church as a whole. And that's why I believe so strongly in the work that we're doing with Lifeway Women. Absolutely. And we're excited that, you know, a lot of our products are available in digital form and even the videos that you can download. So someone who is serving overseas does have access to some of the resources that we provide. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And listeners, um, we're excited that we could bring this episode to you. And we hope to see you back next week. Thanks, y'all. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heinemann. Use the hashtag MarkedPodcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.